everybody. Ross Chapman here on The Etch Podcast, coming to you live from a wintry scene in Southampton today. And I've had the chance to speak to a very special guest in the form of Sarah Richards, who runs Content Design London, but more importantly is a awesome human being who had some time to spend with me to talk about what and where content design came from, uh, who is using it right now, and who's kind of doing it well, and some of the insights and tips that she's gleaned over the past year uh, and more in providing content design consultancy for a whole range of clients. And it's it took a while to get hold of her. I've been busy, she's been busy, and I'm just so glad that we have been able to spend the time to understand some of what content design standards looks like and what she feels is going to be those increasingly popular trends going into next year. Content design shouldn't just be a strategy document that you request, you receive, and then you put on the shelf. It should be a set of tools and enable people to do what they need to do cross-functionally, outside of silos, and enable the business to talk in a way that people want to start listening. So I hope you enjoy this episode. We're going to have a bit of a Christmas break now, and we're going to come back in the new year in a bigger, brighter way. And I'll probably think over Christmas how that's going to look. But I just want to wish you very well, wish you a happy Christmas, and thank you for listening in a kind of Dr. Fraser Crane type way. So here's the interview with Sarah, and I'll see you after that. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Today we've got Sarah Richards, who is the founder of the content design movement, uh, and rightly so. She is absolutely awesome, and I wanted to grab some time with her today to talk about how content design really looks like uh, within the teams that she talks to, does workshops with, some of the feedback she's had since uh, bringing out the book, and what we can expect coming into next year and uh, where the kind of trends and interest is going and what she's learning at the same time. So, Sarah, welcome. How are you doing this jolly morning? Hello. Um, I'm all good, thank you. I've still got Christmas decorations all over the floor uh, and it's all very Christmassy and yet very messy over here. Thank you very much. Do you have an upside-down upside house? Is the decorations on the floor a new kind of stand on the, the ceiling? ceiling. Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I would love that because the ceiling is in fact clear and I would think okay. my house would be massive, massively clean, but no, I'm afraid not. <laughs> oh, awesome. And and have you kind of wound down for Christmas or are you um, you still working hard? No. Do you know what? When, when you kind of run your own thing... There's no time off, is there? Like Saturday afternoon, three o'clock, and the kids are all on screens or whatever. I'll just, I'll think, oh, I'll just do that email, and then yeah. that's it. 
I don't know. Yeah. No downtime. Christmas Eve, there will be, but that'll be about it, I think. Fantastic. And uh, and how has your year been? I mean, it's it's been quite a full one for me, but I'm sure you've been out and about. And, and the team that you work with has, has grown at, at Content Design London. How, how's that all gone? This year has been utterly bonkers just utterly in, in a good way in a in a really really good way um yeah so we went from me and my social media manager Ruth um and Claire um she's my assistant she kind of runs everything she um started late last year so we went from just three and now we've got eight people um we've got a, a bunch of contractors that we pull in regularly we're doing um, alphas and betas we do sprint work which we launched this year which has been amazing we just go into an organization for two weeks and just hammer it just yeah. take a problem and solve the, and it's amazing um yeah and we've traveled around the world we've trained over oh, i can't think what the numbers are over 250 people in three continents and then the british ones on top don't know what that yeah. is um yeah so the whole thing is just going really really mad but well you know so i use that in a kind of positive way not a negative definitely and and that that sounds fantastic so for anyone who's who's new to the realm of content design and and sarah uh why don't you explain a bit in the shortest sense of the way of what you do and as a consultancy, uh, what what the kind of breadth of uh, um, uh, stuff that uh, you do and who with? <laughs> mm. uh, <laughs> so we, um, content design, we run user journeys mapping and we do empathy mapping and we do channel mapping and we do all this sort of thing to work out um, where content should be for your users so there used to be this old view didn't there that um you would publish something and everybody would find it using the power of google and and that's still (laughs) to be fair that's still how we all run mostly um but as time has evolved um since we started content design at wk um we found that the industry is shifting I think we're shifting as humans, as, as users of the internet. And it's more about bringing people the right information at the right time on the channel that they're on. So we do a lot of work trying to work out kind of digitally um, where your users are and what you should be saying to them at the point. But we also take in that offline behavior because yeah. all your offline behavior influences your online behavior so we've actually um just in the past couple of years we've taken it back and back and back um so that uh, i'm just going to turn my notifications off now because i didn't <laughs> no worries. So, <laughs> so um yeah we take it back now so that we've got um consistent messaging across yep. all the channels so for us in content design london we'll work with almost anyone um as long as you have some social impact or you are aware of your impact as an organization. So, for example, um, we're lucky enough to work with somebody recently um, who has like a chief diversity officer and a chief gender equality officer, and actually they work in finance. So, <coughs> you don't. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we're quite picky about the people we work <laughs> with. Um, 
you have to be doing some sort of good. If you're an arms dealer, we don't want to know. Basic. No. All those poor arms dealers. Um, (laughs) They're all all crying into their, you know, AK-47s. That's awesome. And uh, and this started quite a while ago for you. Uh, You you kind of got a sense that uh, people were human and um they were actually reading some of the stuff that uh, people were spewing out on the internet so why don't you tell us a bit about the the kind of change that you saw and and you saw in yourself where you were likely asked to do something and you were like mm, is that really what we want to achieve yeah it all, for me it all started in government so um i worked in government from 2000 i think it was <coughs> Pardon me. Um, and I worked on a website called DirectGov uh, here in the UK, massive orange affair. And what was happening was all the government departments were publishing information to their own websites, and then they would duplicate it on DirectGov, basically. I mean, this is a long story mm. short. Uh, government had over 3,500 websites. Most of them had separate teams. I say over 3,500 because nobody actually knew how big the <laughs> which is just like do you know how many websites you've got no but let's just build another one and it was a bit like that um and then yeah. UK came along and on a very cold day outside um one of the directors said to me all right so you know editorial what do you want tell me about you know what's happened and what you think government should be doing well I went right off into a rant um because I've been working in government for like five years People have been getting in the way. At that point, editors weren't allowed to say anything really except your grammar's wrong or, you know, I've mm. proofread this and found three typos. Can we take that out? And we tried. We tried really hard with the policy people and the legal people to try and kind of get them to stop publishing or, or publish better or whatever. But we had no mandate, no backup, and we had quite weak leadership. Um, so it was very, very hard. I worked on a convert, uh, project called Convergence, taking 186 sites down into one. And oh. yeah, and we, we only have five templates and we couldn't use half of them. So, this, <laughs> so all these website owners were going, we don't want to go across the Gravel UK because it's crap. And I was saying, yeah, I know, but it's got to be done anyway. Can we just do this? Um, so mm-hmm. it's kind of an awful project. Um, sorry, that's my tea going there. Um, so it's kind of a... a a reasonably awful project. Um, And then when GDS came along and and they were kind of like, what do you want? Just tell us what you want. So I had all this kind of pent up frustration uh, going on. So it's kind of, right, I I don't want anybody except my team to have access to the content management system. We have a style guide that's locked down. We have, uh, you know, content that makes sense to people. We don't need to duplicate anything that's out of there. All of these things came out. We were working in a small multidisciplinary team who were all having the same sorts of ideas. So we wrote them down and did it. This is kind of long story short. Like I said, there's some blogs on my site. if you want to have a look about the, uh, the full story. Um, and that's where the term content design came out because we had developers sitting right next to us and we had designers sitting right next to us. So we could say, you know, this thing is very complicated. We don't want to put four and a half thousand words out on this thing. It should be a tool. It should be a calculator. Yeah. It should be a calendar. It should be something, but it's not this. Um, and that's kind of where the term came from because i was saying we do so much more than proofreading it's not just copy no it's not just words yeah 
could be anything we might not be able to do it so like i wouldn't sit there and say right content designers can start doing videos and things because there's a whole industry who does that very well but if we understood the user need and the user need was actually it needs to be in a different format we needed to have the ability to go and get that in whatever format it was to work for the user so it was for the user need and not government need which at the time was a massive shift now in changing our title from the content team which is what we were to content designers everybody was like you're calling yourselves what now um mm. th there were some really rude and aggressive conversations across government but that was the point because sometimes I think we spend so much time thinking about the way that we talk to our audience, but then we talk to each other just using whatever language comes into our heads. Whereas if you change the way that you talk about something, it changes that perception. So suddenly people were like, well, they're content designers, ha, ha, ha. Hold on a minute. What does that mean for me? And it's like, yeah, we're not going to proofread your stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah. So that was a huge, a huge uh, plus in the way that we were communicating how GovUK was going to be different. And and to explain to anyone who who doesn't know what GDS is, it it's the the kind of government digital service that was founded around two thousand eleven, and it was really tasked in transforming uh, the the whole government to start this digital transformation, and uh, and. One of the things you said there, Sarah, which I remember following the, the, the various blogs at the time, because the GDS was, in, a, in essence, my, my learning platform. What, whatever GDS was doing, that was how I was learning. I wasn't going to take a short course somewhere, and, and I wasn't very good at reading books, but reading blogs while I was doing my work, I could just kind of slant into uh, a lunchtime and just read a few. And I remember specifically that there, there was a post, um, quite a popular one, about how every page or, or every section of, of uh, the gov.uk had a user needs kind of in, in its in its code and you, you could kind of see uh see what the user need was and then when you're choosing content the if it was uh something that can be explained in quite a short form uh you could use this uh, method either a video or a uh a, a, a section of text or something and it was the kind of rules of the game that that people could understand and i could understand as a designer that these rules I could take in my work as well. So it really was the, the guiding light. Yeah, exactly. You know, this whole premise of, you know, editorial sitting one side and doing one thing and then designers sitting somewhere else and doing something completely different. I think, you know, that's how we all used to run. But having had the experience of GDS and then since I left there, uh, it's just the most insane way of doing things. Mm. in a bad way um if you have your designers and your uh, editorial staff or your content staff working together you end up with a much better product um so yeah we all ran off the same user needs we now when we as content design london when we work with organizations um we show them how you can run an entire organization off of one bank of user needs so your press release team can work off it. Your social media team can work off it because we have user needs as the need, the acceptance criteria, then usually the language that is being used around that and the emotion yeah. that's being used around that. It just means that the teams can take their creativity and their remit to one very consistent message 
and the messaging just becomes more prevalent because you're using the same language across all the channels and and it's it's kind of it's not hard work for somebody to then associate that with your brand or your organization or whatever totally and and since gds and and starting content design london Mm -hmm. you've you've had uh conversation and interactions and and uh you've done i assume content strategies and and work with lots of many different companies uh and and what was the the start of that conversation was it a kind of fear of missing out or they they had internal kind of struggles that things were taking too long it was being passed around it wasn't really working well what what are the what are the kind of initial problems that that these companies and organizations come to you for now interesting when i first left it was very much um we want a content strategy yeah. Now, content strategy everyone's everyone wants a strategy you know it, it, yeah. even if they have one they they want a new one <laughs> yeah but they want one that they can ignore that's the <laughs> yeah. they want one that they can sit on the shelf and go yeah we've done that we're we're all strategied up thanks very much it's just rubbish yeah. and then other people so fall into two camps for me and then i'll get to one and then the other one the other camp of people came to me and said um we want gds but just you and eight people in a team who hate you and I'll be like, no, no, that's not how that works. You can't do GDS with three content people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a view. People feel that they can do it. And, and I keep saying over and over, it's, it's a set of processes. I was just about to say it's a journey, and I don't want to sound like an idiot. But no, <laughs> it kind of is. You have to take your organization with you, all of them. Otherwise... Yeah you're not going to get very far. And so much of this kind of technical change and having a strategy that sits on a shelf or whatever or on your hard drive, um, that's the kind of technical part of it. But 80% of any kind of change like this is human change. It's culture change. Mm. Don't do it in that way, which is insane. So we do... um, we do a two-day content strategy course where we're going and we will find your so we'll do user journey mapping to introduce the technique because most organizations don't do it or certainly don't do it in the way that we do it and then we do the channel mapping empathy mapping whatever and then we come up with success and uh, and um, value because those are two yeah. different things right you can have something that's got like a billion shares or whatever but if it brings nobody to your website and doesn't get any engagement actually with you as a brand or or as an organization um you have to say yes it was successful but was it valuable Mm -hmm. we actually um track both and we'll set those out and then we'll do a lot of internal working with their workflow and governance so most people have got like 30 people in their governance process. Um, at that point, interestingly, it's slowed down now, but in almost every strategy session I was doing, um, I would tell them to fire their content team. Yeah. Because they didn't trust them. If you've got yeah. so many people in your approval process, you don't trust your content team, so you might as well get rid of them. Or train them and trust them. You, you know, do something, but don't just not trust them because you're going to lose your people or and you're certainly mm. going to push all the innovation out of them and push all the great yeah. ideas that they've probably got. They won't bother telling you, but they'll tell your competitors with any luck if they leave. So, um, so we do all those sorts of things as well. Um, 
and then it's like it's like penny drop moment after penny drop moment to be honest um they see how long it takes for the user to get through anything so they normally have fun mm. that. they see how long it takes their organization to get up we do value mapping internally as well. So we'll work out how much it costs them to produce each piece of information. Um, yeah. I do that around the world. In the UK, it runs at two to two and a half thousand pounds per piece of information on an average. Um, if you add government or legal, it can top eight to eight and a half thousand per piece of information. Um, <laughs> that, so once we put all those things together, then we say to them, you know, what do you want your content to do? Every piece mm. of information on that website is potentially uh, damage for you. If you get it wrong, it's out of date, whatever, it's damaging. Um, you've spent this amount of money to get it up there and you've taken up this many people's time. You know, each piece of information should absolutely be screaming for its existence. And most people yeah. can't because it's work and it's the internet and we'll just shove another page up because we can. And it's like, just stop, just stop. <laughs> it's costing you loads um, and it's clogging up the internet. So we do a lot of yeah. those type strategies um, and they're mostly very eye-opening and you know, there's lots of kind of penny drop moments um, and then we come back in a couple of weeks and do sprints and whatever with people to kind of nut it out and make sure that their strategy is actually going to work the thing that i have with content strategy is it should be something that you refer to you should be mm. give your content strategy and your style guide to a new content person and leave them alone and if you can't there's something wrong with your documentation or your training yeah it, it shouldn't be something that you pay a lot of money for it sits on the shelf you tick the box and uh, everyone kind of gives each other a, a nod around the table and moves on to the yeah, next Yeah, and then problem. go back to the way you were working before. No. I, no, no, exactly. And it it's, it's similar to something that I've believed in for a while is that we're not really uh, trained very well into how to do our jobs on, on the most part. I mean, school didn't prepare us for the kind of pressures of, of what we need to do within teams doing kind of digital stuff or, or even uh, larger scale kind of manufacturing or, or big change. And we learn from our line managers or our colleagues and they learn from their line managers or colleagues. So they need this kind of influx. And th this is where I actually believe consultants and, and outsourcing is important because otherwise you, you just kind of accept how it is right now and ultimately you have to kind of put the shutters up <laughs> because you don't get this this new like uh new thinking or new uh way of working based on someone who has actually gone out and experimented and and learned and uh and you're right you know people will ask for a strategy because that's what they think and what they've kind of been told they need but actually what they need is tools and, and tools that they can understand in real human language and use and over time change and adapt. And and it, it's like these kind of content audits and uh, even in my realm, in UX audits that, oh, yeah, we did those, but we did them three years ago and we haven't felt a need to do another one. And it just feels a whole bunch of wrong <laughs> doesn't it <laughs> yeah that's that's the exact term whole bunch of wrong right. <laughs> you know people put so, it up and then they ignore it and 
Yeah. You know, because we all pile too much work on and too much creation where actually I think a lot of content strategy should be deletion. It should be, you know, every piece of information that goes up needs to have an archive. Day. Yes, it's something I remember from from one of your articles. It's it's like this is when it started, and this is when it's going to be taken offline. Yeah, and it it, it it's up there, and it, it has a a shelf life because that gives us actually a fake deadline of reviewing that, and the world changes over time. So so must what we say and what we do. Yeah, exactly. Also, you know, is there any piece of work that you did two years ago that you couldn't go back and improve now? (laughs) Yeah. You you know, we move on, we learn, we find better ways of doing things. Information shouldn't just be sitting there forever. Um, So, Sarah, who, who is... Who has got it? Who who is really doing well? I know that sometimes you're you're sharing some job ads from companies that are looking to to grow in in the realm of of content design, or or they're saying actually we now understand this to be important, and now we're investing in it. Yeah. Who who's doing really well with it right now? Ooh, uh, am I allowed to have favourites? <laughs> you can have a few and then you don't have a favorite it's kind of like <laughs> a, a, a theming or a trend <laughs> um do you know what nobody invites us i think at the point where they're doing it really well we are yeah. getting caught in the in the first bit of we're ramping them up i think next year um we've just been working on two projects that I can't tell you about because everybody's making me sign NDAs. Can we stop that? Non-disclosed agreements mm. are awful. But next year, um, early next year, I'm really hoping to come out with two projects that we're working on. One is a very hierarchical um, established legal in, uh, company and they are they're, they're just doing amazing work. They're cutting hundreds of pages um, and doing everything in a user-centered content uh, design way. And we're doing yeah. specialists and the public. So I'm really hoping to be able to share that with you to show the kind of before and after. Uh, awesome. And another one is a financial company. Um, we went and did a sprint with them. And then, so that's just a two-week block of work. And... Uh, they have they're running a campaign uh, over the christmas and january period they know that it is already blowing all of the benchmarks that they had for this year based on previous years out the water um yeah so i'm going to hopefully bring that to uh, the public Awesome. Oh, I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, it, <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean. It, it's like they're, they, sometimes people are scared to share the good work and get you to sign an NDA just in case that, um, yeah, whatever happens. <laughs> really, but, uh, yeah. I do try to get organizations to be open about it. The more open you are about your work, the easier it is to recruit and the reason yeah. it is to retain your people because you have to have that kind of open accountability. Um, but loads of organizations come to me saying that they can't recruit people and they have to go through quite a rigorous process with us before I'll take the contract and find people. Um, so that's like a pain for them. That's a pain point for them right there. Normally they've been to other people, can't find the right caliber of staff and then they come to us. Um, and then they have to go through pain to get through us as well. Um, whereas they could, they could, stop all of that 
by just being open about the work that they're doing and saying, you know, we know that we can do better here. It's not even saying we're really rubbish at this thing over here and, and we're going to make it better. It's not even saying that. It's just saying we yeah. can improve it. And they would be able to get through their own recruitment really easily, but they don't. So anyway, that is another rant for you. <laughs> I, I like to collect them. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's fear of the unknown, isn't it? What, what if we don't do an NDA for this and what will happen? But uh, if, if anything, I know that the, the companies and individuals that do experiment and try, uh, they, they either, there, there is no failure. They either learn or they, they grow. They, they, they just need to just be a bit more honest and a bit more open about what they're doing and what they want to go forward with. Because if, if actually they share it and they say, we're, we're actually going to rewrite everything or we're going to start deleting some some old content or we found that uh, our YouTube channel is really popular, so we're going to start putting more bespoke stuff on there, then that's actually building anticipation and interest. And you can actually grow hack it if you're sharing what you're doing rather than keeping it all kind of under secrets and envelopes under tables and things like that um but yeah (laughs) so uh what 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 does your year look like next year i mean is there a new year's resolution for uh everyone everywhere to uh start the new year in the right way in in terms of designing the right content or or just being as good as they can be i think Next year, next year is going to be really exciting, right? Everybody's talking about, you know, AR and VR and voice search, right? Um, which I think is very exciting. I think uh, voice search is, is, I've been saying voice search is going to save the written word because I think it will be. I think that is the bit when organisations will say, um, you know, your design, your development, those sorts of things is necessary. It is very necessary. You know, you can't build an Alexa skill without one, but it's your content that's going to get you onto voice. Mm. Only your content. And if you don't have it, you're absolutely going to fail. So I think that will allow organizations to push content up. Um, but I really think next year we need to sort out as an industry, we need to sort out silo working. Mm. because it's just it's just ruining any chance of innovation to be honest especially when you kind of throw it over the wall in some form um to a designer who then has to work their magic or they throw four templates at you and you get stymied by that as a, as a content person so um as content design london we've actually chosen three things to focus on next year which we're going to be pushing a lot of messages out we're going to be trying to do lots of new things um which will be announced in the new year to um help facilitate this so next year we're focusing on accessibility being usability um mm-hmm. which is one of the um conference talks that i did last year and i'm going to turn it into a thing i don't know how yet and turn it into a thing <laughs> Turn it into a thing. Turn Go on, just because just... <laughs> <laughs> that's easy, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> just saying, you know, you don't have to have uh, a huge budget actually to make your content accessible. Um, mm. you, you do need to work it on a code level for screen readers and all that sort of thing, but most people do that and then stop there. 
And I think there are so many impairments, actually, and disabilities that could benefit from just short sentences, getting to the point quickly, you know, having alternative formats, things like that is, is, is very much in a content domain. And I think we can control a lot more than we than we do at the moment. So I think so that's number one. Um, number two will be measure the intention. So, again, it's this success and value. Uh, messaging that we're kind of getting out you, you need to understand what your content wants to do or needs to do before you put it up so mm. there's kind of two sides to that one is like just stop publishing everything the killing yeah. search results stop doing it um but the other is uh you know make it work for your organization make it put you know the timing that you're putting in make it give you something back um and then the third one is our reasonability guidelines um, so this is a project that came from organizations will often come to us and say, we want a style guide. And most of the time I just send them to the Gov UK style guide. Um, yeah. because when I was there, I had it researched to death. Um, uh, academically it was researched and we did loads of lab testing so that I know it's pretty robust, but a lot of organizations won't use it because it's government or it's too governmenty, and they don't think that it, um, is relevant for people who sell or people who, um, you know, in marketing. And I mean, that's complete rubbish. Mm. Honest. Um, content design will work for any industry, but I think what we would do is, um, look at this kind well, I thought we would look at this universal style guide. It kind of uh, went down after that because doing a universal style guide in many languages is actually quite difficult. So yeah. it's a global project now. So we have people in 22 countries, I think it is, contributing at the moment um, to a Slack channel and to a wiki. And mm-hmm. um, it's all about the nuances of style guides. So, you know, like capital letters and ampersands and all this sort of thing. We spend so much time talking about it, but a lot of the things yeah. are steeped in accessibility and usability. So I want to kind of find out what they are. So we've done an alpha and a beta and it's going quite well. So we'll have a chat over uh, December and January and we may decide to fund research into some of these style points to kind of get the conversation out of the way. If the research Mm -hmm. says there's no impact on usability, if you use an ampersand in the middle of a sentence, that's not what I'm saying, by the way, because I have seen it but still if if the research says that then we can all just stop worrying about it and get on with yeah. more important things in content like should we be publishing this what channel should it be on what format should it be and that sort of thing and stop worrying about whether people use capital letters for department names um so yeah that will be the third thing on the list next year do we carry on with the readability guidelines um project and if we do in what way Fantastic. I, I've, I've copied the GDS style guide many, many times. Uh, and uh, I, I certainly did that uh, in a few of the roles that I had. And then I, I think I flipped over to what co-op were doing um, and, and seeing and learning from, from them. And one of the main things I learned was um, not having a capital letter after a bullet point. Yeah, and 
I, I, I had no idea on that. I thought you were starting a new sentence. You're going, right, I know what this is. And you missed the full stop and off you go. Uh, but no. And, <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's such a fantastic, and, and I learn through seeing and doing. I, I don't react very well to kind of a lecture environment and, and following. I, I kind of need to see it and, and learn and someone say, no, it's not that, it's this. And, and that really, really helped. But the the, the GDS style guides, e- even putting so much as all our alerts and errors in one place so you know what they look like, yeah. uh, just just informs everyone. Because the, the questions you have as, as a designer are, what what do I need to style this as? What what what? How does this look when you ask me to design a new page or a a new kind of component? And if you can show them what that looks like, but not create it every time within the context, <laughs> then you're saving yourself so much time and effort. But also, you're building in consistency. You're you're saying here's a guide. We'll update it over time, but this is our standards and just keep on looking at that. And when you really want me, <laughs> we'll, we'll work on something, you know, a bit riskier, a bit bolder. But for the basics, go to this style guide. And I, I found it incredible. The One of the most like difficult things to do is to host it somewhere internally. I mean, it, it, it surprises me that there, there's a few organizations that use a, a web style guide in a PDF. And you're like, can't we get to a point where we've got code snippets or we can copy and paste as a usable tool? Uh, so, yeah, there, as always, Sarah, there's an awful lot more work to be done, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's what keeps us employed, right? Exactly. And there's there's so much uh, that... that we we love and enjoy what what do you we'll, we'll kind of bring things to a close but what do you most enjoy about what you're doing right now uh i love crits so we have critiques, yes. and so i've got my team co-locate with the clients and i will often skype in um to crits to see the work and see how fast it's going um, and to see a client go from we hate this this is all rubbish we just want to publish get out of the way to this is like game changing which is the comment that we had last week um, in a crit because they can see that the content is going to work really well for the user for the point that they're at so mm. they've done the user journey mapping and they know that that one piece of content is really going to work for them um and seeing the teams change from crit to crit is just that is my favorite bit of the week fantastic and 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 like you said earlier it's it's not as easy as saying let's get a document we'll put it up on the shelf change happens over a long period of time but in in those short sprints or, or efforts it feels like a huge learning curve, but after each week, you're just building upon the curve that you did the, the previous, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. When we do sprints, we actually go into um, the office. They only work with us between 10 and 3 because okay. everybody gets exhausted. Yes, yeah. Because you're doing a new thing, or for some people, they've already done it in different roles or different um, environments, but they haven't quite done it like this, and they haven't brought people along with them. And so mm. that can be very uh, emotionally draining. 
um, and they're exhausted and then they go back to their, <laughs> to their, to their uh, desks and do emails and whatever. Um, but happy, you know, touch yeah. wood, and I am touching wood currently. Um, all the clients have said that this is a major new way of doing things and it's terrifying, but do you know what? We can see the value of it. We can't now yeah. go back to the way that we were doing it because we know how inefficient it is, how much money it's costing us, how much time it's costing, how much emotional energy in the team it's costing. Um, whereas these new techniques are, are going to get us to our goals a lot faster. So um, yeah, those, those are the times in the week where it just makes everything better. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing all those amazing kind of stories and insights. Where can people find you if they want to track you down? <laughs> so on, on Twitter, I'm on Eskmum, E-S-C-M-U-M. Uh, that's the Content Design London um, handle. And the site is contentdesign.london. And everything is on there. Cool. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much. So that was the interview with Sarah Richards. She is an incredible person and I followed her for many years learning what she was doing at the Government Digital Service, but what she's been doing since and some of the articles that she's written and some of the stuff that she shares. She's done Facebook Lives and lots of speaking engagements where you can find the videos online about. She is just an awesome, awesome person doing some awesome work and uh, it's just been an incredible privilege to have a chat with her and as per usual record it for everyone else to learn and listen from too. So you can find her on Twitter is a good place to find her at Eskmum and go to contentdesign.london to find out all the good articles that uh, she and her team are putting out and I can't wait to hear some of the success stories that will slide out of NDA (laughs) next year uh, that we can all learn and appreciate so thank you for listening we'll see you again in the new year with uh, a plan it would be good to have a plan to this, wouldn't it? And I will be back with more people and more chat and bants and stuff then. So have a very good Christmas and I'll see you in the new year. <laughs>